Content warning. This series will discuss topics that may bring up painful experiences for you. Please take the time to surround yourself with good medicines. If need be, pause the playback and go for a walk, stretch, have a glass of water, and come back to the show when you feel comfortable. Welcome to the Métis Speaker Series. I'm your host, Darian Kovacs. On this podcast series, we will be exploring learning, healing, and rebuilding within the Métis community. Our goal is to create awareness of and generate discussion about Métis issues, as well as how to heal from and move forward in a healthy way. We hope to reduce Métis invisibility in BC through the personal stories from our Métis community members. This show is brought to you by Métis Nation BC and Jelly Marketing. This is the Métis Speaker Series in Season 4, where we're interviewing artists and creators and creatives. So why don't we start off? Do you want to introduce yourself and the craft that you love to dabble in and and you do vocationally? For sure. My name is Cassandra Wolliver. I'm in Winnipeg, or Treaty 1. So I'm I'm Red River Métis homeland here. I love to make the traditional Métis capote, which is what I'm wearing right now, which is an old jacket made out of recycled HPC or trapper point or other kind of blankets. And essentially what my business does is through me and another Indigenous youth, I I teach the technique of making and sewing and repurposing as much as we can utilizing as much of the blanket as possible. Even our scraps are used in beaded circles and even those scraps are put into dog bed stuffing. So we try to have like zero waste. The business itself kind of dabbles in eco-friendly, indigenous, woman-owned, recycled, repurposing and fashion and vintage too. So it's like, it hits a lot of different check marks for a lot of people. So it's pretty cool. Amazing. And and the capote jacket, for those that are unfamiliar, tell me about maybe the history of it and, and what it means to you now, today. For sure. The capote itself is another word for jacket, obviously. It was made during the, the fur trade time. So if you ever looked on, I could show you kind of right here. There's a point system on these blankets. And each one of these points illustrates the size of the blanket, but it also would showcase how many pelts of beaver fur we would need to trade in order to get one of these blankets. So this would be three and a half pelts of beaver fur. And so the Europeans back then would take the beaver fur back to Europe where the fur itself was a very fashionable thing. People put it in top hats. And when the fur would finally kind of wear off over time, you get that really nice velvety fur. And that's what those top hats are made out of. And then so they would bring us the blanket, and we would utilize it in many different ways. Mostly, we would make the famous capote out of it so that our men who were harvesting and hunting could stay warm throughout the winter. And there was multitude of different utilizations for the, the jacket itself. It could be used as a blanket. It could be used as a towel. It could be used to carry someone. It was a very versatile piece. And so it was very historical for us to, to continue to or to make those pieces. So. That's amazing. And have you ever seen one in a store before? Does anyone ever sell these like commercially in like a, like a retail outlet? Not in a retail outlet. No. So yeah. we have within the indigenous nations, there's the parkas and then the Amatooks mm-hmm. and like the Inuit. I might have butchered that word, but 
there's different styles and there's different parts and there's different histories with each individual indigenous nation. This one is definitely Métis. It screams Métis. It's all over. You know, Louis Riel wore it. You see photos of him in them. So there's no place that actually sells them yet. (laughs) That is in the making right now. Someone is actually has just purchased a stock for their store in Ottawa so we're going to be in Ottawa soon. Just met a lady over the weekend who is in Toronto. There's a museum there that wants to open up a pop-up where they'll be there as well. But yeah, no one has marketed them. No one really sells them. I just find when I was looking, and which is originally why I started making, was that everyone had an auntie or an uncle or a grandma or someone who made one for them. There's classes available. So people would take these classes and then they would make it and then they would gift it. And I could never find one to purchase. And so I had to teach myself the art of sewing (laughs) in order to be able to make my own, essentially. And then from there, everyone wanted one of mine. So it kind of turned into this business. I wasn't actually really prepared to start. That's amazing. That's a a great kind of origin story of how it got created. Um, (laughs) So tell me about the limitations, though, of making it. So if someone were to, for you even, to, to get many to a store, are you limited by, though, finding the actual blankets? And then, or do you use new blankets or do you always go with the traditional kind of antique? I I don't know if they're considered an antique blanket or not. I like to call them vintage. Vintage, yeah, great. (laughs) That's a great question because there's several questions in there. Until recently, HBC did not give any incentives to purchase brand new. Now they recently pushed out that they are going to give all their incentives to indigenous incentives. So that opens up an avenue for me to be able to purchase new if I wanted to ever. But then the coat would significantly become more cheap or more expensive with that because a blanket itself costs around $600. So if I'm creating something off of a brand new blanket, the size that is needed, the blanket is going to really exponentially go up. As for finding blankets, I got lucky for the first two years. I had a lot of people because CBC followed me for a while. And so every single time CBC did a podcast with me, I would get Tons of people writing me, hey, I have all these blankets. They're in grandma and grandpa's closet. They've been sitting there for 50 years. Like, we haven't done anything with them. We would love to give to you. So they would donate and I would get hundreds of blankets. And I had all these blankets just piled up in my living room around my kids and I. There was a really sweet gentleman in Vermilion Bay who had a a fishing lodge. And he had like 60 HBC blankets. And he heard about me on CBC and gave me an amazing price. So me and my son packed up and drove all the way down in our U-Haul all the way Vermilion Bay. And, you know, even I worked scattered seeds this past weekend, people kept coming up. They're like, my husband collects these blankets. We want them out of the house. How can we do this? And, and, you know, like I personally prefer when people do do donations that I'm able to pay it back in some way. So I will always say like, I'll build you a capote off of one of your blankets for your blankets, or I'll do something else for you. Like, is there anything else that you would like? Do you need repairs on any clothing? So a lot of it kind of came in this whole traditional trade and donation thing, but it does pose a lot of issues when I want to get into stores because stores would be like, well, I want 20 red HBCs and I want them in these sizes. And I want this fur on them and I have to go, oh, I only have two red HBCs right now. And I don't know the next time I'm going to get an HBC. And I don't know the next time I'm going to have fox fur. And I don't have the next time I'm going to have beaver fur. So it always becomes this kind of chance and luck. And so it also adds to like my marketing thing on on Instagram and stuff because people are like, oh, she's got silver fox fur and let's get it now. 
And then they're like, okay, so then I make five capotes and that phosphor is gone. So it's it's a very limited thing. Uh, if I ever decided to to manufacture in a way that would be appeasing for big market stores, it would have to just be the minimalistic of coats. And I would have to find a wool provider, like maybe Pendleton or something, where I could just do a whole bunch of those and settle those to the side and then do my one-of-a-kind pieces, which I always feel were more special because I had a part in them and someone else had a part in reconnecting with them. And that story behind the blanket itself and the story of the reconnecting individuals who are putting the work into them is so much more important than just making a whole load of jackets that anyone can just wear and not really know a part of the history with. So as, as a business, I look at it kind of going, well, silly, you should just go mass produce them. But as a human being and as a, someone who was lost in my own reconnecting, it's far more of a spiritual journey for me and those around me and a, and a practice that is far more successful for me. I would much prefer that over just a bunch of money. So. Yeah. And you, speaking of custom ones, and you you did a custom one for me. Where two things: one is in the inner lining, you added I want to say a material that was quite soft and silky and smooth, so it wouldn't be itchy. And on the exterior, yeah. we end up going with more of a fleece material. Is that correct? The kind of a, instead of a wool. Yes. On the first, because you you told me that you had a really sensitivity to wool, which yes. is funny because I work with wool. Yeah. And my son is the same way, and so I, I ended up putting you had like a like a silk kind of lining, which is a typical jacket lining, and then yeah. the flannelette. I created the stripes for you, so I had made. I went and I found the, the closest colors, and I just kind of built this jacket out of nothing really which I always find really fun to do because I can get really creative in where I put the stripes and where I, I represent a lot of different things in it. So that was a lot of fun. And I imagine some people that would really want a vintage version, a vintage blanket where some are maybe more flexible and open to kind of a something new, something from uh, where you make the stripes from scratch. Absolutely. Like this, there's a reason why I kept this one in particular. This is a very, very old HBC. Like even the label is different than... Yeah than what they're originally are now, but it kind of goes with the whole aspect of things. Sometimes you might get one with a stain on it. Sometimes you might get one with a little burn mark and people who aren't accustomed to liking things like that. I get to tell them a story because that blanket came with a story and some, some awesome times I get to hear that story. Mm. So we had two TP red blankets two years ago, gifted to both the wife and the husband and they lived out in Alaska and they had these blankets for 80 years and they just, they would cover up with them on the couch. Like every night I would hear that, like how much they adored these blankets. And so when I got that donation and I took so much pride in those two blankets and I kept them together, the per- the people who purchased them, purchased them together. So those blankets got to stay together. And I know it sounds just so corny, but that's like my romance story is when I get to continue on with that thing. And one of them for sure had a little burn mark, but that little burn mark was from like, you know, a night where they sat with like wine and they were watching TV and like the fire came up and started on them, you know, and it always kind of plays into the whole reconnecting with my indigeneity too, like having those stories and the storytelling behind indigeneity and how important that is. And I think each individual capote that is done specifically for people has that kind of storyline with it. And a lot of people really appreciate that aside from just getting a, you know, black zip up jacket from Walmart. Yeah. 
Do you send like a little slip of paper that describes the story? I don't, because if I had to write a story about each blanket, that would take a very long time. Yes. But yes. if I've known the story, yeah. I will definitely tell the purchaser like what happened with their blanket or yeah. how it came to be this way. You know, and I like keeping those little flaws in them. Like mm-hmm. even if a little bit of the blanket stitch is unraveling, like I I, I will tie it back up a bit and this whole part here will have no blanket stitch and then this part will have a blanket stitch. Instead of just taking it all off and trying to make it look pristine, I like the ruggedness of where it came from. And and yeah, it's amazing. I'm weird that way. No, it's <laughs> really cool. It's really cool. Now, colors. Tell me about maybe kind of the history of the colors of it because I didn't realize that there was like green and red and not just the traditional white. Oh, you mean like the stripe itself? Yeah, or or just the or the base color, the base. Because I didn't realize that there's like you you are currently wearing for those that are just listening and not watching. You're wearing like a green and dark green striped blanket. It looks that way, but this is actually like a dark faded navy. Oh, okay. So if you look back at all the blankets, there was many, many, many different colors. Okay. They had one of the ones I just did recently, and I should have pulled it out, but it's in a box from this past weekend. Yeah. I, I found this orange with like a blood orange bar at the oh, bottom, and it was oh, an HBC. Cool. And it was super rare. I've never seen one like it. Okay. And I made it into a coat, and everyone was just Googling over it this past weekend. So wow, it's going to sell. I know it will, but it's yeah. going to go to a really special person. It has to go to yeah. a special person. You know, a person yeah. has to know where it came from. Yeah, But we and, have a lot, like the common blanket itself is like the red and the forest green and the gold. Okay. Those are very common colors. Yeah, And the stripes even are very common too. Yeah, But there's some I've done, not just specifically HBC, there's some army blankets I've done. Yeah. There was a young lady who came and saw me this weekend. She told me I made her capote and showed me a photo and it, it was a hospital one that had like the tag that said NH on it. I remembered specifically where I got it from. And she was just standing there like, I love my jacket. And I'm like, I love that you love it. I'm so happy you came to say hi. And my gosh, I remember that Navy jacket. And so yeah, every every blanket is is different. But HPC definitely has a very wide coloring history of their blankets. There's some cranberry ones, dark cranberry ones. And a lot of them are sometimes a uh, collection or limited editions. Yeah. Or that year is the specific, like two years ago was like a Napoleon kind of ice cream looking one. And they only make it for a small amount of time. So when you get your hands on those really old limited edition ones, they're really beautiful. You're never going to see someone wearing the same one. Like you can go out and watch, look outside and see everyone with the bats and base stripes. It's very typical. Everyone loves it. It's a really great, friendly kind of color. But it's really not as unique as people think it is. Yeah. You look at it and you know immediately that's Hudson's Bay. That, yeah. That's when you know it's common, it's safe, it's what you like. But the orange ones or ones like this, these are the really cool ones that just come out of nowhere. And they're very hard, hard finds. So It's interesting the history, like in April 2017, HBC updated the label, rotating it from portrait to landscape. And they added actually a photo of Voyager's in a canoe with Canada printed yep. on the top, I think, to acknowledge. And then 2020, 350th anniversary of HBC, they re-released a bunch of special edition blankets from the ice cream to the gold to the camel. And those ones would be new. So those ones probably wouldn't be considered vintage, right? Kind of more of the newer kind of 350th anniversary because um, they'd, they'd be a few years well, old. The older ones would be vintage. Yes, but the but new, yeah, the, the remakes. Yeah. yeah, okay. 
Yeah, I it's, wouldn't consider it's it like uh, a new spin on it, new uh, new versions of it. So the big one would be uh, how many blankets would you have in stock now, for example, at the moment? Probably have around fifty right now. Wow. I have a storage unit. <laughs> I have a storage unit, and like I live in a two bedroom apartment with my two kids and myself. I'm yeah. currently yeah. and have been. I've been divorced for three years, and I've been trying yeah. to get us into a house with a studio where I can actually yeah. work. And yeah. so my kids, oh, they're seven and four, and these kids have lived around blankets what feels like their whole life. Like they're mm-hmm. so involved, they're so sweet about it. Like, oh, I'll take up your closet space. Okay, mom, that's fine. You know. Yeah. Like, oh, sorry, you don't have the space to play, you know, stop hitting over my mannequins in the living room. Yeah. You know, it's, it's one of those really cool family things and it sucks Mm. for them, but it's also, I get to watch them be so okay with what I'm doing and so supportive of it. But yeah, the blanket, the blanket supply goes up and down every winter. I sell a lot and then summertimes I'm stuck doing nothing for a while. Or I'm making ribbon skirts. So it just goes yeah. to that fabric all summer yeah. long. And then I switch back into the wools. And then we yeah. get covered in wool dust all, all winter long. Wow. You know, so. And of the 50, what would be the range approximately of like the colors that you have in stock? You got one one orange, right? And you're saying one bright orange or a scarlet orange? Yeah, I got that that blood orange one that's going. I yeah. got a lot of golds, greens, reds right now. A lot of reds, purples, mostly greens and reds. I like the green. I like that. Yeah, the, the, the forest the green. Yeah. The forest green is a different kind of green and the, the bar at the bottom is really, it's it's like almost black. If it, if it isn't black, I think it is black. Yeah. yeah. And those are the typical, they just look like this one, right? They're just a very kind of simple bar and then yep. forest green and then the black forest green. And maybe answer me this to get into the HBC history, like people that maybe are not super excited about HBC history with Indigenous people. How do you respond to those that are saying, you know, are you are you glorifying HBC blankets or what's your take on the whole HBC? I've had a lot of issues when I first started people saying things like, you know, you shouldn't be dressing our people in HBCs because of what they did with smallpox. I ended up in a contest with Alberta. I think, it's, I think it was Treaty 3, where it was like a build-your-own-capote contest and we all got brand new HBC blankets. And there was another designer in there. I can't remember her name. But I asked her that very specific question. I said, you know, you used to make fashion with HBC blankets. I said, how did you talk about the smallpox thing? And then through that, I had other people like Mitch Case who was in there. And he was like, you know, I think a lot of that was just a a miscommunication of what blankets were used at the time. And now that we know a lot more about how pandemics work and how outbreaks work, the likelihood is that it was, you know, military blankets or hospital blankets that were used. And you know, stories get told and I'm sure, and I'm not by any means defending HBC because HBC does have a lot to be apologetic for. And they do have a lot of working back with the Indigenous community and their their current Indigenous incentives for the, the blankets is, is a first start and it's a good step forward, I think. But when it comes down to it, there seems to be a lot of anger about the four stripes and and people would always say like, well, you should, you know, like I said, they say you shouldn't have dressed people in that. They said, you know, HPC makes nothing off of me. They make nothing. What essentially I'm doing is I'm stealing customers from them. If you're really going to get down to it, because I'm taking vintage reused old blankets, they can't come after me for doing that. And I'm making an authentic coat by my people that they used to sell off my people's back. So technically, 
I mean, they know where they stand on this. They're they're not going to come after me. Have, has anyone called you yet or emailed you? Has anyone messaged you from no. HBC? Official? Okay. No, <laughs> but well, HBC, if you're listening, me. yeah, they they know how to find they know how to find you. They know where you are. HBC Heritage on Instagram follows yeah. me, and they share my stuff. Okay, they share it. Oh, cool. And okay, I'm like, great. cool. Like that's. Hey, like you're going to share my stuff. That's amazing. It would probably be very, very smart of them to contact me and try to do some kind of collaboration with me. Or sell some, sell some of the jackets in their form. They have an online marketplace. They could sell your jackets there. I had once back in 2020 contacted them to ask if they would donate a red blanket because I was doing three jackets as a fundraiser to raise money for missing and murdered Indigenous women powwow here in Winnipeg. And they responded back to me with, no, we only support one organization. It's for mental health. And that was it. They wouldn't give me a blanket. And I was so sour about it. I was like, this blanket would have cost you nothing. And it would have given you so much nice publicity. And you turned me down. Well, still sitting here at HBC. So whenever you're ready to talk, we can talk. Amazing. <laughs> this probably Amazing. won't be an easy talk. <laughs> do you know that, Do you know who created the first jacket, the capote jacket? Do you know they had like the... Who came up with the concept Someone's or the idea? Beautiful Cookham did, I'm guessing. Okay. Yeah. And just say, hey, let's repurpose. It must have been these. really cold back then. Yeah. Yeah. It must yeah. have been very cold back then. I can only imagine how cold it was. Like it's not like they had down feathers in their jacket, like Canada goose jackets or anything like that. They're, back then it was pretty cold. So whoever whoever came up with it was genius. Yeah. Probably my family. No. <laughs> yeah. no. no, it's great. And, and it's cool to know yeah, like Louis Riel wore that this was his coat of choice for to, to wear. Yeah. Do you know if he wore a stripe, what, what kind he wore, what color that he, he went with? No, the, the photos aren't really like colored, but I know that back then, this is something I learned from a gentleman who purchased one for me, that animals are colorblind and so they can't see red. And a lot of the male capotes used to be red. So you think the brightest color in the forest would be like a big spotlight on you going, hey, look at me, I'm here to shoot you. <laughs> Instead, it was very well in camouflaging. So, but I don't think, I'm not sure how much Louis Riel did, you know, trapping and such, but if he had, he probably had a red coat. And I've never That's seen awesome. any real color photos of him, but I don't think I've ever seen him in a striped coat, like a, okay. a four stripe. So you mentioned you... You've branched out to, to, to ribbon skirts. You've branched out. Have you branched into other things like gloves or anything else? Hats. Yeah, I do. I do a lot of, so I have gloves right now. I have a buy one, give one. So every pair of gloves that is purchased, we give one to homeless within our city. So on Christmas time, we do our mitten drive where we just make hundreds and hundreds of pairs of mittens. And then I also make, I'm starting to make sashes. I'm starting to learn how to weave and finger weave. I'm teaching a couple of young Indigenous youth how to do it too. So I'm learning through teaching and teaching through learning. So that's fun. That That's going to come out soon. I'm, I, I really like the idea of matching the colors of my sashes to the capotes that I'm giving. I know that certain sashes have storylines and that kind of stuff, but same as the, the, the capote for me, I have kind of artistic freedom. I can do what I want with it. It has its own story. So this one has a story like, you know, so-and-so and I created this, we laughed, we had coffee, and now you have it on your jacket. And, you know, that's its storyline for us. Or or maybe like an LGBTQ, LGBTQ plus rainbow one, you know, where we can make fundraisers and, and, and raise money for initiatives like that. I always look at ways to give back. I don't like 
I don't like to just sit here and, and only focus on myself and, and where I'm going. My, my main goal in this is to make a community where people feel safe and they can learn and they can talk. And it, it's literally like the infinity <laughs> Métis symbol. Like it just continues to go back into itself. And that's how I've based my whole kind of adult life so far is whatever I do, just put it right back into it. Just keep going back into it. So even with our ribbon skirts, we have missing and murdered indigenous women ribbon skirts where all the proceeds go to incentives like that. We have our IRSSS bears that we make and all the proceeds of that go to the IRSSS for residential school survivors. I would say about 50% of the products that I make go back into the community. We're always coming up with something Amazing. new. We're always trying to find ways to make the scraps work. We're always trying to find ways to recycle and reuse and repurpose as much as we can. So. Maybe tell me about the DIY kit and, and how that works and, and what comes in the package there. If you wanted to kind of attempt to make your own, sure. what do you send people? Yeah, we, it's just like a little 4T to 6T, although a young lady this past mm-hmm. weekend wore it. She bought one as a crop top jacket, which I thought was adorable. Yeah. So the pieces come pre-cut and then yeah. we add in, or I always talk like I'm in third person, I add in. Needles for sewing machines, threads for sewing machines, embroidery thread, embroidery needles. There is a step-by-step guide on how to assemble it together. And it gives you just kind of a bare minimum of what a capote looks like, how you put it together, the kind of pattern, the way it's cut, the way it looks, so that you can take your own blanket later down the line and teach yourself how to make those same cuts for your own body type. Excuse me. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm starting this year. A lot of interested people wanting me to teach it in school around Festival de Voyageur time. I have a lot of places like in BC that want me to do Zoom. And yeah, it's just a, it's a good, it's just like anything else. Like if you're taking a beading circle, you're learning the basics of it. No one's going to teach you how to make a, a fully beaded fire bag or what have you, or a medicine bag. You're not, you're not going to get all the insights into that. Those are things that you have to kind of learn on your own and like take on your own. So I do do classes where you can actually make the adult ones, but I really love the little mini kits because it doesn't take a lot of time to create it. It's a really great gift after it's made and before it's made to give to someone who's interested in sewing or who's interested in just learning more about indigeneity and Métis and all that kind of stuff. So, And then you can add whatever you want. You could do the blanket stitch. You can add fur. You can add beading. It's all yours to, to create from, from just a starting point. And at least you got the jacket to start from. So. And maybe tell me about this um, just from your website for those that are creators now and really inspired by the business you've created. What has been kind of the most successful as far as like getting traffic coming to your site or where you're seeing sales come from or what's kind of been what you've been seeing and hearing? I'm a very unique business. Yeah. Because everything is one of a kind, I get a lot more people contacting me in DMs or emails yeah, that, than I do. Was, yeah. It, it's it's really funny because when I, when I take classes on businesses and stuff and people are like, oh, you got to make sure your product is on here. You got to make sure it looks good. I'm like, I love my site, but I spend barely any time on my site because yeah. I'm too busy taking that one of kind, popping it on Instagram and it's sold. Yeah. And then someone else is contacting me. Hey, can you make another one? Can you make another one? Can you do this? Can you do that? And then so yeah. I'm spending most of my time talking to people that I am just putting things up on my site. But yeah, I think that's, it's a, it's a very different type of business because the way I kind of started it was really with the CBC. 
and people were hearing my story more so than what I was doing. And so people became more kind of connected to me through my story of what happened during COVID and starting my own business and, you know, being a single mom of two kids and they were about what I was really doing. And so they just wanted to support me in that aspect of things. And so I have a lot of followers through that. And then I have a lot of followers through the Indigenous community. And then I have a lot of followers through just the Winnipeg community. So kind of just the way that they all kind of contact me is by phone or email or what have you. But I try my best to put as much product on in the story as I can. But because a lot of it is one of a kind, it's so hard to do every single time I make one capote. And and like I tell most people, 90% of my sales are customs. So people just need to contact me if they want one, because I'm not going to cut into a blanket yep. and make an XL when someone's a small. I have to take that blanket apart because it was a one of a kind blanket and I got to figure out the scraps and all that kind of stuff. So I much prefer people just contacting me straight on and saying, Hey, what can, what can you make? What colors do you got? What can that yeah. stock? And with such an, a big expensive kind of purchase, like you're spending about $300 to, yeah. to even $600 on a coat. I want you involved in that process as much as possible. I want you to tell me what colors you want. I want you to tell me what your body type is. Some people have bigger hips, some people have smaller hips, bigger chests, you know, bigger arms, longer arms, shorter arms, and and all those things you'll never get from another coat company to begin with. No one's going to spend that time with you. No one's going to spend that time really kind of understanding your body or trying to make it as much as possible towards your body, which mm. is a really good thing to do. Amazing. That's that's really cool. Instagram, that yeah. Yay, you know, it's so cool. And I, I think that's where I discovered you and saw the different types and and yeah, evidence right here. It wasn't the site, it was just what you were doing on Instagram for sure. Exactly. I do get a lot of traffic on my site though, too. And people are like, Why aren't you putting my product out? I'm like, I told you, go talk to me. What do you want? I'll make you whatever okay. you want. Just tell me. <laughs> and you've got teddy bears as well. Maybe tell me about the teddy bears that you made. Oh, of course I don't have any right here. Kind of like this. They're little fun teddy bears. The kids, like the kids that I work with and my own children, yeah. we cut into the fabrics or the, the scraps. And then the kids learn how to use the sewing machines and then they yeah. pop them up and they fill them up. And then these, we, I'm just taking donations. I was going to do $10 a piece, but I thought, ah, might as well just do a donation thing where people just give a donation. Yeah. And then I take that donation and send it straight to IRSSS and they get a teddy yeah. bear that they get to take home. So wow. over the weekend, I had about, 10 bears done and we raised yeah. $250. So really Monday cool. they got $250 sent to them. Yeah. Just bang, just like that. People feel really good about it. There was this one young girl this past weekend. They came up and they bought two. Yeah. And it was the I only had three left. Hmm. So they bought the two and there was one left and they walked around for another 45 minutes and they came back and the little girl felt bad that that bear was left there. Aww. So she got her mom to donate again so she could get yeah. the third one. And it was such a sweet little kind little girl. It's just like, oh, that poor teddy bear is all by himself. And she came back and got it. I'm like, that's what I wanted to see. I really wanted to see that. And then another lady donated and got some and then she had her elder bless them hmm. and then told me about it. Get to hear these really cool stories about random things we make. That's not many really people cool. get to hear That's, that, and not many companies yeah. get to know that joy either. Yeah. Again, I I was the two jackets I got were both gifts for other people, and they loved them when they got both of them. Got it was their first capote jacket, and you know they've been involved with you know in, kind of in many mating things for years, and it was so special to both of them. So yeah, thank you for that. Thank yeah. you for being able to no pass that on. 
Amazing. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> and where can people find you? I know we mentioned, but kind of where can people find your jackets, find you on Instagram? Where I'm going to give a shout out to all your um, sites. I'm on Instagram, on Facebook, I'm on TikTok. Although TikTok is fun because I can only show so much that I do every day. Just a bunch of cutting of wood or wool. But yeah, I mostly spend a lot of my time on Instagram and Facebook whenever I get yeah. away from my sewing machine and, and that kind of stuff. They can find me there or matesbranded.ca. They can contact me at matesbranded at gmail.com with all that kind of stuff. Awesome. We'll put all the links in the show notes as well. But thank you so much for joining us today. It's a real treat. Well, thank you for having me. Awesome. Well, thanks for uh, coming on to this episode of the Métis Speaker Series. And we'll see you next time on the show. This has been the Métis Speaker Series podcast. I'm Darian Kovacs. Thanks to Métis Nation BC for making this possible. With funding provided by the Civil Forfeiture Office's Indigenous Healing Stream. You can listen to all of our episodes, learn more about the podcast, and sign up to the Métis Nation of BC newsletter to stay up to date on Métis news at metispodcastseries.ca. You can find out more about the music we're playing by Love Life by visiting SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash lovelifeofficial, L-U-V-L-Y-F official, and link in the show notes for your convenience. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast listening device. See you again soon. Mina Kawapa Mitten. Thank you. Marcy for listening. <laughs> <laughs>